The Commonwealth Club of California congratulates the class of 2021. We know how much you want to stay connected with the issues and influencers that matter most. That's why we're offering all high school and college graduates in the class of 2021 a free one-year membership in the club. From politics to social justice, climate to pop culture, membership in the Commonwealth Club opens up new worlds of learning and the chance to interact in person and online with today's headline makers and people like yourselves who care about what's going on in the world. Claim your free membership at commonwealthclub.org slash grads. And join us. We look forward to welcoming you to the club. Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello and welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I am Frank Price, International Relations Vice Chair and Vice President of the Northern California Peace Corps Association, and also a returned Peace Corps volunteer who served in Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. I have a couple of housekeeping announcements before I introduce our guest, Glenn Bloomhurst, President and CEO of the National Peace Corps Association. There are many valuable programs worth watching via live stream, and I encourage you to go to the commonwealthclub.org website to sign up. We would also be delighted if you would go to the commonwealthclub.org website to donate. Special thanks to all those who have already donated. We are the nation's oldest and largest public affairs forum as a nonprofit that generates revenue through events. You can imagine how many, how much we appreciate your donation during these difficult times. To learn more about upcoming live stream programs, we invite you to check our website for a complete listing. It is my honor to introduce Glenn Bloomhorst, President of Northern uh, National, I'm sorry, not Northern California, but National Peace Corps Association. Um, Glenn, can you uh, tell us about, first of all, your Peace Corps service? Certainly, Frank. Well, first and foremost, it's just a pleasure to be here with you at the Commonwealth Club. Thank you so much for in inviting me to be a, a part of today's program. Uh, a little bit about my Peace Corps service. Uh, I uh, chose to join the Peace Corps uh, out of college. I was uh, from a family of service. My father, uh, a Marine, my brother who served in the Army, my uncle who served in the Army, um, uh, served in Vietnam, actually. But uh, I I chose to join uh, the Peace Corps out of a motivation of service to others. So uh, national service was really important to our family. And to me, this was a way to serve my country, but also more importantly, to serve others. Uh, so I joined the Peace Corps um, and was uh, stationed in uh, Guatemala as a Peace Corps volunteer with my wife, Kathy. We served together, myself, in an agricultural program, and uh, she was in a health program. We served for one year on the east coast of uh, Guatemala uh, in the tropics and then moved uh, to the uh, central highlands of Guatemala, a small um, indigenous village uh, called San Miguel Chica in Baja Verapaz uh, in the center of Guatemala. So I worked with mostly rural producers, um, and most of them actually were women, uh, women's groups that produced uh, uh, agricultural crops. Um, and uh, they were mostly women because uh, this had been a part of the country where the uh, Civil War had recently receded. And um, there were many widows and orphans um, following the disappearances and uh, assassinations of many people uh, as a result of the war. So it was uh, a challenging time to gain the confidence of the community. Any outsider was met with a bit of skepticism. 
um, but we managed to settle in and build relationships and we stayed for not just the full two-year term of a Peace Corps assignment, but for a third year and then a little bit more beyond that, uh, working in this uh, mountain village of San Miguel Chica. Hmm. Can you please tell us about your post-Peace Corps activities? Certainly, Frank. Well, after Peace Corps uh, service, we um, were met with uh, an opportunity to serve, uh, continued service in Guatemala. Um, and we worked for an additional three and a half years uh, with a, a small private organization in Guatemala. Uh, basically, uh, uh, the things that I had learned in the Peace Corps allowed me to draw on that experience. And uh, I started working in a pathway toward uh, community development work um, uh, following the Peace Corps and three years additional to that in Guatemala. I then worked uh, um, on major USAID-funded uh, community stabilization and development projects in a variety of different places around the world, like Afghanistan, Iraq, Sierra Leone, South Sudan, Colombia, East Timor, and that uh, also included a 10-year stint, a residential stint in Bolivia, uh, where I managed uh, some community development projects as well. Um, before heading to Washington, D.C. Uh, to work um, in a community stabilization and development practice area for ACDI VOCA. So really drew on my community development experience from the Peace Corps to uh, prepare for my career um, after Peace Corps in community development. What got you involved in the National Peace Corps Association? Well, quite honestly, Frank, because I was living overseas most of the time after my Peace Corps service, I did not have much involvement in National Peace Corps service immediately after my Peace Corps service. Um, and, you know, that was a tremendous missed opportunity. I, I encourage anyone and everyone to become involved uh, right after their, their Peace Corps service in the National Peace Corps Association. And I wish I had. I wish I'd been more involved uh, earlier on. Uh, but fortunately, I, I had the opportunity after returning back to the United States to uh, be called to uh, this role as president of the National Peace Corps Association. And um, I came to the realization as I went through the interview process that uh, National Peace Corps Association is at the center of a community of, of over 250,000 do-gooders or change makers, as we might say. And it is uh, an organization that's uniquely positioned at the hub of that community to enable and empower the community to be such a tremendous force for good. So drawing on my uh, community development experience, I felt that there was a great opportunity to achieve the, the, the greatest potential of NPCA, um, viewing it as uh, um, an organization at the center of this, uh, this community of, of quarter million change makers. So that, that really drew me into the organization and um, uh, is why I chose to, to accept the role that I have here. Well, you've certainly shared some important things. Now we need to kind of find out what does the NPCA do? Uh, well, um, we're, we're doing a lot of different things, uh, you know, but to kind of focus in on what our mission is, we, we, we say our mission statement is to champion lifelong commitment to Peace Corps ideals. You know, those ideals can mean different things to different people. To me, they, they're about peace building, volunteerism, service to others, friendship and social justice. Uh, so really, our mission is about engaging our community for a lifetime of service uh, and uh, championing that commitment to those ideals. Uh, we, we break our mission down into two, three, excuse me, three goals, and we refer to these often as strategic pillars of the work that we do. Uh, first and foremost is helping the Peace Corps be its best, and we do that through um, primarily our advocacy programs um, and um, uh, ensuring that Peace Corps has funding for its uh, programs and 
and then uh, in many cases legislation that also helps bring about reforms and changes and improvements in the Peace Corps itself. So our, our goal, our commitment as a community here is to really help the Peace Corps be the best that it can be. Uh, our second goal is related to our community, and that is to enable our um, 250,000 members plus uh, to, to thrive and our affiliate groups to thrive and to achieve their greatest potential as well. And then our, our third goal is really about the, the world that we can impact, and that is about amplifying our global social impact uh, through continued service um, of our community. Many people are not quite clear about this, but what is the relationship between the Peace Corps, the gov- which is a government agency, and the NPCA, a 501c3? Can you explain that, please? Sure. Well, as a federal agency, uh, the Peace Corps' core mission, if you will, is to deploy and then support volunteers during their service. And that's generally two years. Uh, sometimes it can be more. Um, and uh, the Peace Corps uh, obviously has an infrastructure and uh, a process for doing the recruitment and placement and support to volunteers uh, while they're in the field and then returning them back from their assignments. Um, but National Peace Corps Association, as an alumni network for the Peace Corps itself, uh, engages those returned Peace Corps volunteers and, and even former staff and others who, who have that uh, relationship with the Peace Corps in this lifetime of service here at home once we return. So we're really all about the domestic dividend of the Peace Corps, what we bring back home and, and what we do when we return. Uh, whereas the Peace Corps is, is about the two-year program uh, generally that volunteers embark on um, and return from. Thank you. Uh, how do you collaborate together? Right. Well, we're separate entities, of course. We, we do uh, want to and always have a collaborative and cooperative relationship. So we, we do. Uh, we collaborate in many ways. I think uh, one of those is that returning Peace Corps volunteers and those of us who have returned from our service um, are the best spokespersons, if you will, for the Peace Corps. And and uh, so we uh, informally in that way serve uh, to re- help recruit the next uh, generation of volunteers uh, by telling our stories and sharing them in the schools and in the, in the universities and other places, uh, civic groups. Um, we also, uh, as an organization, um, provide uh, services and support to return Peace Corps volunteers after their service. This is an area where Peace Corps as an agency and the National Peace Corps Association do kind of share um, responsibilities and and the opportunity to support our community right after their service, uh, Peace Corps, uh, primarily focusing on the immediately returned volunteers and, and National Peace Corps Association, focusing more on the longer term of the return volunteer life. So uh, that's an area that we work together in. Um, and then what is called the third goal of the Peace Corps, of course, uh, bringing the world home, as we say, and helping create a, a better understanding of other countries and peoples on the part of Americans. This is really where Peace Corps and, and uh, National Peace Corps Association come together on our missions. And that's really accomplished by empowering and engaging our community to share their stories and, and uh, experiences with others here, which all contributes, we believe, to building bridges of friendship and understanding and, and toward that higher goal of world peace and friendship. Um, that's how we collaborate. Uh, we, we say we advocate also, of course, uh, and this is, um, you know, in kind of two ways, uh, on behalf of the Peace Corps itself and on behalf of the volunteers themselves. Um, Peace Corps, um, as a federal agency, cannot advocate for itself uh, to Congress, of course. Uh, so uh, that is one of our foremost responsibilities is to advocate uh, for Peace Corps appropriations from Congress, um, 
Uh, currently, it's at $410 billion per year. We are in the process of hopefully securing a, a $20 million increase for Peace Corps appropriation for FY 2022. Uh, but one of the foremost ways that we can help Peace Corps be its best is, in, is to ensure that it has um, adequate funding for the future, particularly at a time like this with, with the volunteers, as you know, not in the field at the moment and, and the need for continuous um, programming and, and infrastructure to, to eventually return volunteers to the field. Um, and then there, there are other ways that we advocate, uh, and this is more on behalf of volunteers and return volunteers, and that is we often advocate for legislation uh, related to Peace Corps issues that provide statutory mandates for, for Peace Corps. In some ways, uh, in some cases, these may be about safety and security of volunteers or other provisions, uh, benefits, and otherwise for them. Uh, so these are areas that we are, are advocating on behalf of the volunteers themselves for uh, reforms, improvements in the Peace Corps, increased um, entitlements and benefits for them in order to make their experience more positive. And then ultimately, um, you know, we see the primary stakeholders of the National Peace Corps Association being the, the future, current and returned volunteers. Uh, always looking out for their best interest and working to ensure that the Peace Corps agency follows through on the commitments that it makes to them, in particular regarding uh, safety and security of volunteers and the experience that they have as Peace Corps volunteers and returned Peace Corps volunteers. So uh, that's why the close relationship that we have and the, the, the cordial and collaborative relationship that we have is very important because uh, we, we do uh, meet generally uh, on a regular basis with Peace Corps leadership and we serve to uh, channel the voice of the community and the return Peace Corps volunteer community in particular to uh, the Peace Corps leadership in, the, in, in uh, providing um, thoughts and guidance on, on the direction it should go. Okay. Um, what have you and, and MPCA done to make the Peace Corps a better, stronger, more responsive government agency? Well, um, one of the things we do is, of course, as I mentioned, is, is uh, uh, really ensure that Peace Corps has funding. Um, and this is uh, related to not just um, being able to have the budget it needs to implement programs. Um, we have uh, undertaken a, a comprehensive uh, review, if you will, of the Peace Corps over the last year as a part of a community-driven initiative to capture the inputs of our community. Um, and that uh, that was uh, uh, channeled through a report that we provided to the Peace Corps uh, and to members of Congress um, on uh, improvements and reforms that the community would like to see, the Peace Corps community would like to see at the Peace Corps. And so really just providing that guidance and that, that um, uh, input to the Peace Corps leadership is very important. And then accompanying that process to ensure that the, the um, um, you know, that the uh, recommendations are implemented. And uh, if necessary, and in some cases, and as we currently are right now, are working on new legislation that we believe will incorporate many of these reforms and improvements, as well as many of the, as well as the uh, budget uh, increase that we would like to see Peace Corps have over the next five years, because there is an abundance of applicants, uh, generally, uh, this was pre-pandemic, of course, applying to the Peace Corps, uh, an abundance of countries that are generally requesting Peace Corps volunteers. And the reason, the only reason that we're not able to, to uh, give every person who wants to serve in the Peace Corps the opportunity is because of the budget. So working to help increase over time in a sustainable way, the budget for the Peace Corps is a large part of our strategy. Um, 
helping it, it helping it to be its best by ensuring a sustained level and increasing funding over over time, and helping it uh, implement the the reforms and improvements that the community would like to see, uh, are the most important ways that we can help it become better. You talked about gathering information. Can you explain to us how you gathered the information to relate to the Peace Corps? Certainly. Um, after the evacuation last year, um, as you may know, we um, heard the community speaking on a variety of different issues related to the Peace Corps experience and their own experience um, uh, and and issues that, that also uh, evolved from uh, the um, increased conversation on racial justice in, in our country um, and uh, addressing systemic racism. And this is one area that that we, we felt uh, it's important to capture the community voice. Uh, so we convened the, the Peace Corps community uh, last year in a series of town halls and then a, an idea summit in the summer of 2020. Uh, we collected the uh, inputs, the collective inputs of our community, and we put that together in a, a report called Peace Corps Connect to the Future. And we used that report to channel uh, the voice of the Peace Corps community to the, the Peace Corps agency leadership and to uh, members of Congress, as well to ourselves, because there were many recommendations that were important for National Peace Corps Association and for uh, the agency as well. Uh, some of that has already been reflected in legislation that we have helped introduce, um, including, of course, um, the uh, legislation called the Peace Corps Reauthorization Act, H.R. 1456, which includes uh, many of the reforms and improvements that were recommended in the report. Um, and it also includes recommended funding levels for the Peace Corps to increase over the next five years. Very grateful to uh, Congressman John Garamendi uh, from 3rd District of California, who um, uh, introduced uh, uh, and co-sponsored with uh, Representative Garrett Graves uh, this piece of legislation. Uh, Congressman Garamendi, by the way, is now the sole uh, returned Peace Corps volunteer serving on Capitol Hill in Congress. So uh, we're very grateful for his leadership on this front and his vision to see the Peace Corps uh, become a, a, a better, stronger organization, and to uh, be able to sustain and increase its funding over the next few years. It kind of leads to the next question. What have you done to make NPCA a better, stronger, and more responsive organization? Well, um, I think you know the end result or where we are now is that we're a much uh, more relevant and impactful organization probably than ever before. Um, we have demonstrated leadership um, in this space related to our Peace Corps community. We um, uh, have uh, really become, uh, I think, a valued partner to members of Congress as thought leaders and as um, um, advocates for the Peace Corps itself and for the future of the Peace Corps. Uh, we've stepped into this role uh, driven by our own Peace Corps community. That's the way we work. And, and because uh, our community has uh, express these expectations, uh, we have uh, responded to them. Um, and that's really what, you know, what National Peace Corps Association has done over the last several years in particular. We, we, we were uh, founded essentially 42 years ago now as essentially a, a passive tra traditional type alumni association. And we've, we've transformed NPCA from that uh, kind of alumni association identity to one now of a really vibrant uh, community-driven social impact organization. So we, we, we refer to ourselves that way because we're fighting for the causes that our Peace Corps community cares about, uh, whether that's the Peace Corps itself and its future, whether that's social justice issues, climate change, or, or whatever it may be. 
essentially the Peace Corps community, Frank, your mission is our mission. And, uh, and that's, why, that's how we've become, I think, a better, more responsive organization to our own community and, and to society. And we, we really, we, we measure our success by engagement um, and the uh, ability to engage our community on these issues, whether it's advocacy uh, for the Peace Corps or for other issues like climate change and social justice, whether it's uh, building and strengthening our social action affiliate groups, which now number uh, well over 185 groups uh, around the country, uh, or whether it's, uh, whether it's measured uh, uh, by a philanthropic uh, leadership of our community in supporting uh, RPCVs, Return Peace Corps Volunteers, and the National Peace Corps Association and their affiliate groups. Um, so uh, our, our community has uh, dramatically increased its engagement over the last several years, and I think that's a sign of success. Hmm, great. In what ways do you see the role, the focus, and the emphasis of Peace Corps volunteers in the future? Well, I think in, in the post-pandemic world, which is a very different world than, that we're emerging in than it was when Peace Corps volunteers were last serving in the field, uh, a lot of things are going to be changing. And Peace Corps uh, is, is, is in the process of making the adjustments and the changes that, that need to be made to be able to uh, retool and reprogram in, the, in this changed world that we live and work. Um, I think undoubtedly we'll see uh, volunteers engaged in uh, global health issues, for example. I think also on the ground working on climate change resilience uh, initiatives and and in community economic development. Uh, those are areas that the Peace Corps uh, had uh, forayed into and was starting to develop programs. Uh, but of course, in the environment that we're living now, I think those are those are going to be uh, among the most highest priorities of uh, the, re- the volunteer programs when they refer return to the field. I think, though, more importantly, Frank, and, and I think as we've seen even over the last several years, uh, uh, building bridges of, of cross-cultural understanding and friendship and bridging those divides, uh, you know, here at home and abroad um, are going to be uh, really important. Uh, these are what we refer to as our, our goal two and goal three of the Peace Corps. Uh, goal two being creating a better understanding of, of Americans on the, on the part of the host countries that we serve in. Uh, because you know we we really are going to be the um, the ambassadors for goodwill, if you will, in the countries that volunteers return to serve in. Uh, you know, building those um, bridges of understanding. Um, you know, helping uh, build relationships from country to country, and and really um, you know, rebuilding the image of America and the the um, the strong relationships that we've had with many of our communities around the world. And then the goal three of the Peace Corps, bringing that experience from our Peace Corps back home and and creating that better understanding on the part of Americans of, of other countries and cultures. I think it's it's clear that we need more of that here in the United States. We need more return Peace Corps volunteers uh, sharing the experience that we do abroad and coming home and and helping uh, create those um, bridges over the divides that, that may separate us here uh, due to you know, the, the lack of, uh, of experience that many of us have had that not all Americans have the opportunity to engage in. Um, what I would underscore, though, more importantly, Frank, is that uh, in, in re-engaging with the world, uh, the volunteers that uh, return to the field, uh, it's, it's imperative that we see ourselves as partners, not saviors, uh, that volunteers uh, also must represent the diversity of America as they return back. And that's incumbent on Peace Corps to ensure that the recruitment and placement uh, and support to volunteers uh, ensures that approach, as well as the, the retooling of the programs. Okay, before I jump back to the past, um, 
when is I need to ask you about the 60th anniversary of the founding of the Peace Corps. What will you do to commemorate or celebrate this event? Well, it's uh, it's essentially a year-long celebration, Frank. We've uh, started last year already by recognizing um, the uh, moment that President Kennedy in October last year uh, on the steps of the University of Michigan um, uh, challenged uh, students to uh, serve their country abroad. Um, you know, that was kind of the first inkling of the Peace Corps uh, as uh, as he was elected and then swore into office. Of course, uh, March 1st, 1961, by executive order, creating the Peace Corps. Uh, so back in March, we had a week-long celebration and a variety of activities, uh, both at the agency as well as around our Peace Corps community to commemorate um, the, the signing of the executive order. Um, and then, of course, in September, culminating, uh, I think, the celebrations, uh, we will recognize um, the signing of the Peace Corps Act, uh, original Peace Corps Act in 1961 on September 22nd, um, as the kind of the, the, the end activity of the, the recognition of, of, uh, of the Peace Corps 60th anniversary. So it's been, been a long-term celebration. Um, our affiliate groups around the country and, and others even around the world are celebrating in different ways the, the Peace Corps anniversary. Um, we have a variety of uh, activities that we've engaged in, of course, starting back in March, but coming up here in, in September, uh, we're, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're work, Peace Corps, I should say, first and foremost, is, is hosting an event on September 13th um, in which they'll have their Loretta Milarupi speaker series. Uh, we're co-hosting with Constituency for Africa, the Ron Brown African Affairs Series Forum with Black RPCVs. Uh, we have our own affiliate group network annual meeting coming up in September on the 18th. Um, we're going to have some advocacy activities. We're training probably going on on the 22nd of September. Uh, there's going to be uh, likely a wreath laying ceremony and a small ceremony at uh, Arlington National Cemetery at the site of John F. Kennedy's grave. And then uh, we have our big annual conference called Peace Corps Connect coming up um, September 23rd to 25th. Uh, that's going to be all virtual, of course, um, but uh, a variety of different panels and presentations that we'll be uh, uh, sharing there with speakers and, and panelists and, and community content that's been developed by our community. Uh, so that will mostly take place during the evenings. But um, uh, finally, Peace Corps is going to kind of wrap up uh, the agency will with a, an event on September 29th, uh, the John F. Kennedy Service Awards for Returned Peace Corps Volunteers in a, in a ceremony there. So that will kind of kind of bring it all, uh, I think, to a close as we celebrate the 60th anniversary. But, um, you know, what we are looking forward to in ways that we can continue to raise the pro public profile of the Peace Corps and to celebrate the 60 years uh, of this institution uh, that, that uh, has such an important place in America is we are we're going to be opening a, a new place called Peace Corps Place in Washington, D.C. And this will be a, a modest building where National Peace Corps Association will, will have our home and we will uh, have a, a gathering space there for returned Peace Corps volunteers and a resource center for returned Peace Corps volunteers and a, a space for uh, return volunteers and community members from around the neighborhood and around the, the city and around the country to engage um, and have meetings and conversations on uh, social justice issues and otherwise where we can really promote the Peace Corps in a visible and tangible way and, and show people what our mission is about and, and what that third goal means to them. It'll be essentially a, a manifestation of the third goal right there uh, in, 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 in that presence. And we're hoping to open Peace Corps Place in October, and 
and welcome a number of groups that have already planned to, to hopefully have their reunions and events there. And um, and then looking ahead next year uh, and beyond, uh, we're also working jointly with uh, Peace Corps Commemorative Foundation, uh, one of our partners, to establish the Peace Corps Commemorative. And this is essentially a, 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 a constructed work on National Park Service land in Washington, D.C., which will serve as a permanent marker uh, for uh, recognizing the Peace Corps. Uh, amongst many, many uh, war monuments and, and others there in Washington, D.C., this will be about uh, the ideals of peace. And so we're hoping to be able to break ground on that maybe late 2022 or early 2023. Uh, so a lot of things in the works. Uh, our, our celebration, if you will, Frank, is, is never ending. And we're constantly looking to increase the Peace Corps' visibility and the Peace Corps community's visibility in the public eye. I'm uh, addressing some questions. Um, I, I know that you wrote, uh, after the evacuation of the volunteers, you wrote an opinion piece calling for volunteers to help in a time of crisis, but also recognizing they had skills and experience that this country needed. Can you give us a few examples of, of those skills, perhaps, and experience? Certainly. Well, as uh, as the volunteers were brought home from the pandemic, I think uh, in March of last year, um, you know, it was really clear that, uh, first of all, you know, uh, these volunteers uh, abruptly ending their service with two or three days notice and uh, really not the opportunity to say goodbye or or uh, or, you know, end their service the way they wanted to. Uh, in many cases, uh, returning. Um, you know, uh, abruptly and prematurely before they had made plans for their return, or in, in some cases, they had more recently deployed to, to become Peace Corps volunteers. So uh, really, it's a traumatic experience for them. Uh, for the most of them, you know, they were caught in a situation also where they didn't uh, know what was next, what, you know, what lies ahead for them. And uh, without maybe academic plans or work plans or otherwise, you know, we really needed to provide them support. But what we saw, of course, was was a cohort of, of 7,000 individuals who have, um, you know, really over the years of the Peace Corps shown that they are on the front lines of, of any global health crisis. Um, you, know, you look at AIDS, HIV, malaria, Ebola uh, around the world, uh, you know, volunteers, Peace Corps volunteers have traditionally been on the front lines of those uh, issues. Uh, you know, these evacuees were returning home with technical skills, um, including healthcare skills, uh, language skills, cultural skills. Um, but more importantly, they brought with them their empathy, their compassion, their adaptability, and 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 this ability to build trust with with others. And and um, inevitably, I think we knew we would see uh, return Peace Corps volunteers that had been evacuated uh, in the trenches, working on the COVID response. And and that's what we've seen over the last year or so is. Um, Many of them doing contact tracing, uh, helping in immunization drives, uh, working in food banks and helping provide for food security, um, and even others working to, to conduct research and, and development of vaccines. So uh, Return Peace Corps volunteers uh, certainly have much to bring uh, to this uh, pandemic situation that we're in. And, and uh, we really, uh, in supporting them in the return, found it important to help uh, guide them and direct them to those opportunities to continue their service here at home in the COVID response. I have to just interject that the Northern California Peace Corps Association as well helped with uh, finding jobs, housing, uh, reassuring RPCVs or EPCVs that they were still, you know, we, we wanted to support them the best way we can. And uh, it was it was a challenge for us. And I think we met the challenge as well, but on a, a local level. Um, 
I know that also that NPCA was involved in many efforts uh, in 2020 to formally put many of the volunteers who work at battling the pandemic. And that last year, Anthony Fauci welcomed the first, first cohort of the NPCA Emergency Response Network. Can you give us some details about that, please? Certainly. Well, um, you're, you're right. Uh, we were able to get Dr. Fauci to uh, welcome a cohort of, of uh, evacuated Peace Corps volunteers who had um, um, elected to join a program that we have called Emergency Response Network. Um, this is a, a program that we've had for quite some time, but it was reactivated in response to the uh, pandemic. And um, in, in many ways, what we were doing there was simply trying to channel uh, evacuated and other returned Peace Corps volunteers toward opportunities to get engaged in, in contact tracing in particular, but uh, in any way that they could uh, to the COVID response. Um, but in, in one case in particular with uh, King County of Seattle, uh, Washington, uh, we found that there wasn't an existing uh, mechanism for these return volunteers to um, actually engage. So we uh, created our own and, and under the kind of the under the auspices of the emergency response network, we fielded those volunteers ourselves by bringing them on board and um, placing them in King County, Washington to, to do that work. And they have transitioned from COVID uh, contact tracing now more to um, kind of uh, call center support. And um, and so Dr. Fauci was really pleased to see uh, return Peace Corps volunteers uh, mobilizing for that impact as well. And uh, through not only our emergency response network, but also through a variety of other partnerships and relationships that the Peace Corps has uh, with other organizations. Uh, we saw return volunteers engaging in many different ways. This spring, we saw the Peace Corps deploy volunteers domestically for only the second time in history as part of Peace Corps response. What, what's that involved? Uh, well, you know, from the onset of this evacuation in, in March of last year at National Peace Corps Association, we lobbied uh, both the, the Peace Corps agency and Congress to uh, give these evacuated Peace Corps volunteers the opportunity to engage back here at home domestically on the COVID response. We, we felt that that was a, a, a very high need on the part of our country, as well as a, a well uh, prepared uh, supply, if you will, of return Peace Corps volunteers with the appropriate skills uh, to be able to contribute to the COVID response. Um, so uh, some of that was actually built into legislation uh, last year that was uh, was passed that uh, that really encouraged uh, the Peace Corps agency to take steps to ensure that those evacuated Peace Corps volunteers had those opportunities to engage um, domestically on COVID response. And um, so Peace Corps, through a, an agreement with the Federal Emergency Management Agency, which is FEMA, uh, eventually was able to place uh, those volunteers uh, from a number of different countries. I think um, in total they were, they, they, they were volunteers from around 52 countries uh, that spoke a variety of different languages and had technical and cultural skills uh, in the COVID-19 vaccination distribution and education efforts, uh, and these in particular in underserved communities in five or six states across the United States. So uh, in, in many ways also, they were not only just uh, providing information and providing uh, encouragement uh, for the vaccination, uh, but also um, just helping uh, translate in many cases uh, for communities that otherwise might not have access to that information in their language. And this is really a close correlation uh, between their previous Peace Corps service abroad 
and, and, and what they're doing uh, in, in this sense with FEMA here in the United States, and that is to really helping uh, people learn to change their behaviors. So a small effort really on the part of, of volunteers to serve in that capacity, but uh, with a big impact. If I, if I dig into the history of the response program, as I understand it, uh, it actually has its origins in grassroots work by returned Peace Corps volunteers helping in a time of crisis, such as the aftermath of genocide in Rwanda. Can you please tell us about that? Right. Uh, years ago, uh, returned Peace Corps volunteers organized uh, to, to continue service abroad in this way, and, and not just in Rwanda, but in several countries uh, after that as well. Uh, this essentially uh, helped coalesce and form what was called uh, National Peace Corps Association's Emergency Response, Emergency Response Network, um, established by returned volunteers themselves in the early 1990s. And, and of course, then this predates the, the Peace Corps Response Program, which was originally esta- established as Crisis Corps at Peace Corps and were later renamed as the Peace Corps Response Program. So Returned Peace Corps volunteers, RPCVs, you know, continuing their service and, and responding to emergency situations and crisis situations uh, goes way back. Uh, I think, you know, since uh, since the time the first uh, volunteers started returning home from their service, uh, continued engagement around the world, whether it's in an informal capacity or through a you know, sponsored network or sponsored program, um, they'll continue doing it, go doing it in, in a variety of different ways that they can serve. I must tell you, uh, before I w- was, uh, when I came back from the Peace Corps, there was no National Peace Corps Association. And there was always something missing in my life after that. And so I'm really very grateful that you guys are around. Um, so many of us have been working virtually, and I, I think a lot of people may not realize this, but many evacuated Peace Corps volunteers have continued volunteering virtually as well. Can you uh, elaborate on that, please? Yes. Well, while Peace Corps has no volunteers in the field, uh, you know, physically actually doing work since March of last year, um, they have been innovative and creative in, in, in getting volunteers back to work with their communities abroad. And uh, they recently lost, which I, what I think is, or excuse me, launched what I think is the third phase of the, what they call the virtual service pilot program, uh, VSP. And this is this is a program that's open not just to evacuated Peace Corps volunteers, but also to other returned Peace Corps volunteers, any of them who are uh, prepared to spend five to 15 hours a week donating their services and engaging with the host country partner in uh, in their former uh, former service uh, country. So uh, this uh, third phase that I believe they're on right now uh, got returned Peace Corps volunteers connected with, uh, I think, 25 participating host countries. Um, the first two pilots, which preceded this, uh, you know, involved, I think, 20 uh, different countries and, and uh, well over 100 volunteers. And by engaging virtually the, the volunteers with their host countries, uh, what Peace Corps has been, been able to do there is, is keep the Peace Corps spirit alive and, and engaged in those communities and, and, and really showing the commitment that the Peace Corps and the volunteers have to their host countries by by continuing to serve, in this case, remotely. Uh, so uh, this is a type of collaboration and service that can be uh, really impactful over the digital platforms and, and across time zones. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll mention, too, that you know, it's not just under this formal program that RPCVs are, are continuing to serve. Uh, for example, just last week, I, I was in Minnesota. I'm in California right now. But uh, last week in Minnesota, I, I met a gentleman, Bill Hansen, who had been a community economic advisor um, in Uganda, Uganda uh, was evacuated in March, 
but since that time, well over a year now, he's continued to work with that host country counterpart uh, that he was assigned to called uh, Friend of Mothers Initiative is what it was called. It's a cooperative, I believe, uh, or producers association. And he told me that in the time since he has left um, and his continued advisement to them over Internet and other ways, um, he has helped them continue to strengthen their organization and, and grow their membership from what it was at the time of around 20 members now, well up over 200 members, um, women uh, of this cooperative. So, uh, again, you know, the, the continued support um, well beyond their official Peace Corps service uh, is what RPCVs are all about. We, we actually have a member of our board who's helping a similar group in Peru. They were evacuated. Um, I don't know exactly how much in their service, but since they've been back, they've been helping with the Internet to support this group in Peru, and, and they've had a lot of success with it. Uh, I have a couple of questions. Um, people have talked about the Advocacy Day on the Hill. Can you, can you explain to our audience what that is? Certainly. Uh, well, National Peace Corps Association, uh, as I said, one of our primary um, activities is advocacy on behalf of the Peace Corps and on behalf of, return, uh, of Peace Corps volunteers. Uh, by advocacy, we mean, you know, we're helping to seek, uh, make Peace Corps the best that it can be by ensuring that it has the full support of, of Congress uh, for both its appropriations and for legislation that we believe is important to, to, to continue to improve the Peace Corps experience. Uh, so um, what advocacy means is meeting with our members of Congress to share with them the value of the Peace Corps and our own stories, and our own experience, and how we believe it made not only a difference in our own lives, but in, in our uh, communities after our return from service and in the communities abroad that we served. Uh, so this is really about citizen um, engagement with our members of Congress. Um, we, we have what we call grassroots um, um, advocacy efforts, and that means uh, it's not just a few of us uh, paid lobbyists or others in, in Washington, D.C. that are meeting with members of Congress and telling them about the Peace Corps. Rather, we rely on the broad and vast network of returned Peace Corps volunteers to advocate directly to their members of Congress. Um, we do have an annual fly-in day, as we call it, which uh, generally draws about uh, 150 to 200 individuals in to Washington, D.C. Uh, that's generally held the first week in March um, on one day, and uh, we provide all the materials and talking points and organization and coordination for uh, citizen advocates from our community to come and, and advocate to their member of Congress and meet with members of Congress and their staff members in Washington, D.C. Um, it's a day-long event. Usually a, a typical advocate will meet with um, you know, anywhere from three to five or more uh, of their members of Congress uh, from their state and even other states uh, or other districts. Um, and then we ended up with a, you know, a big uh, reception that evening and, and uh, just a, as a way to thank, to thank our community. Um, you know, what's, re what's also important, though, is the district level meetings that we have around the country uh, organized in part and, and in large part by the advocacy coordinators, which are a network of individuals around the country. Uh, based uh, in, and embedded in the affiliate groups that, that are present around our country. They they organize uh, district-level meetings with members of Congress as well and their staff. And, you know, really getting constituents in front of members of Congress to speak about Peace Corps. You know, first and foremost, to thank those who support the Peace Corps and, and let them know how much we appreciate their support of the Peace Corps. But also then those supporters, we really want to champion them to become champions of the Peace Corps. And anyone who may not be pro proactively supportive of the Peace Corps to really convince them of, uh, of the value of the Peace Corps and 
And uh, some members of Congress need that encouragement and, 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 and need to hear from their constituents to be able to, to advance those, uh, those purposes. So we were very fortunate last year that uh, our Hill Day in early March was one of the last uh, Hill Days of any organization uh, on Capitol Hill. So when the pandemic hit and the evacuation occurred, uh, members of Congress were, were really uh, uh, knew where to go for the Peace Corps. Uh, and they were calling us, the phone was ringing off the wall, a uh, number of uh, visits with members of Congress early on who were uh, really keen on trying to support the Peace Corps volunteers that were being evacuated and the agency itself and asking for our guidance and, and support on how they could uh, help the Peace Corps. So we became a very valuable resource for, for members of Congress during that time. Okay. For, for those who have never been in the Peace Corps, uh, how would you recommend that they go about advocating without having necessarily those experiences, uh, what would be the best way for them to let Congress know that the Peace Corps is appreciated? Great. Well, I think, you know, almost all of us, it seems, know a family member, a friend or a colleague or somebody who's been in the Peace Corps. And, um, uh, the, you know, so certainly sharing that experience or learning more from from those individuals, you know, asking them about their Peace Corps service and, and what it meant to them and, and, you know, how it affected their life and career after the Peace Corps and, and what they brought back home and what they did with that experience to create a domestic dividend. I think, you know, really, um, uh, in many ways, we've heard individuals ask, is the Peace Corps still around? And, and you know, so those are the individuals that we also need to create greater awareness of ourselves and the general public about the Peace Corps. Um, one of the ways we do that is, uh, you know, working to get uh, op-eds and letters to the editor and newspapers around the country. Uh, both so they're read by the public and, and the public understands and appreciates the fact that the Peace Corps is still around, but also so that members of Congress see those articles and letters in, in their in their local newspapers and understand that they have a constituency that, that uh, supports the Peace Corps. So um, anybody can write a letter to, to the editor about the Peace Corps. You don't have to be a returned Peace Corps volunteer. Anybody can advocate uh, to their members of Congress on behalf of the Peace Corps if you believe in national service, uh, and Peace Corps is a national service. And if you believe that international um, cooperation is important and building those bridges of international understanding, uh, I believe you know it's it's a it's a good motivator for advocating for the Peace Corps. Um, you know, really, uh, we we do need to increase the visibility of the Peace Corps. I think in the public eye, we have a variety of other things that we're doing as well. Uh, we've helped uh, a project uh, with uh, a producer, uh, Alana De Joseph, produce a documentary about the Peace Corps um, entitled uh, Towering Task. And, and we screened that documentary in different uh, venues and, and events around the country and then uh, generally follow it by panel discussions related to uh, the future of the Peace Corps and where, where Peace Corps is now. And again, like I said, you know, uh, the commemorative and Peace Corps place and, and uh, there's an initiative for a museum of the Peace Corps experience. All of these initiatives are designed to really raise the profile of the Peace Corps in the public eye and ensure that uh, we no longer ask if the Peace Corps is still around, but um, here's what it is doing around the world and, and that uh, the, the individuals will value the Peace Corps as a, a part of our um, national, national security programs and our national service programs. Uh, here's kind of an unusual question, but it, in lieu of the fact that many organizations um, Political organizations have high school uh, connections. Uh, some of the service organizations have their own high school connections. Is there is there any plan in the future to have uh, a, a, an organization working with high schools 
affiliated with the MPCA? Well, I think it's imperative, Frank, that uh, all of us, one way or another, engage with high schools. Um, I, I know that as I returned from my Peace Corps service, I think uh, at least half a dozen times I've gone back to my high school in, in a small town of Missouri and and shared uh, my Peace Corps experience there. Uh, at the time of my service, I was the only Peace Corps volunteer from this small community of about a thousand people. And, and uh, a few years later, uh, one of the individuals who had been at one of the events that I spoke at uh, joined the Peace Corps. Uh, so now there are two of us from my hometown. Um, and uh, we've got a lot of work to do there, but there's a, a lot of communities where that's not the case. Uh, if you look at Plainview, Minnesota, where I was just a few days ago as well, uh, there's a, a marker there, a historical marker in that community, that small community of around 1,200 people, uh, uh, showing that uh, four of the first, very first Peace Corps volunteers came from Plainview, Minnesota. And then uh, over time, I think a dozen or more uh, have served from, from that community, uh, which I think makes it probably the highest per capita uh, in terms of number of volunteers from that community. So it's really important for us to, to all return at one point or another uh, or go into schools and, and, and share our experience in the Peace Corps. Uh, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the first time I heard and saw images from around the world uh, and stories from around the world was when volunteers came to my school, uh, my grade school, and spoke about their experience. Hmm. We are designing a program at National Peace Corps Association uh, that's in concept at the moment, but uh, part of what has emerged from recommendations in our community, uh, kind of a, a no school left behind approach where we uh, want to make sure that uh, every school in, in every state uh, of the country has at least one volunteer engaging in that school uh, on an annual basis. And and uh, we're looking to try to, to get that up and going and funded so we can put uh, volunteers, uh, you know, in place that can coordinate those efforts uh, from state to state. And and then uh, much like our advocacy network, ensure that we're, we're making those uh, engagements happen. So... Um, you know, I really believe that uh, in the formative years uh, of, of grade school and middle school is where we really need to start talking about the Peace Corps. Um, and, you know, that will produce, um, I think, the interest uh, over the years and for the future generations of the Peace Corps that serve. Um, Peace Corps does great, I think, on the campuses of the universities and, and in other organizations recruiting and networks uh, for uh, volunteers. But it's really, I think, imperative for us as a return Peace Corps volunteer to uh, tell our story in schools around the country. Um, some people have, have talked about, I believe the Peace Corps requires a college degree. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think it still does. Uh, some have asked, can the uh, Peace Corps recruit uh, new volunteers, perhaps, who didn't go to an, a university, may have gone to a trade school, but can they recruit those kind of people? Well, I believe uh, I believe Peace Corps is already looking at that as a, an option, and um, I believe that there probably is going to be a reassessment of, of any types of requirements that you know that do require degrees, because I believe there's there's a need to lower barriers for uh, individuals who may not be uh, who may not have that academic preparation to be able to join the, the Peace Corps and serve just as well as anyone else. Um, we are encouraging Peace Corps to to take actions that would reduce both the financial barriers as well as uh, those types of barriers that, that might preclude uh, individuals, particularly from underserved communities, uh, uh, being able to serve in the Peace Corps. So um, I'm not sure specifically on what, if any measures are already being taken there, but uh, we do believe it's important to, 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 to look at kind of the, not, the traditional approach of, of, of applicants and, and those who serve and, 
And uh, you know, certainly there's a greater emphasis now than ever before, probably on individuals over 50 serving in the Peace Corps and that experience that they bring uh, from uh, their life and career uh, prior to service is very valuable. Uh, but really representing, I think, the diverse makeup of our country uh, in terms of different types of uh, backgrounds and and otherwise that can be brought into the Peace Corps is going to be very important. Some some want to know, is is there a way for people who, let's say if you graduate from college, you're in 100% great health, you have all the physical skills that you would require, but as you get older, uh, some of those skills and abilities lessen. Uh, is the Peace Corps thinking of including people who may have uh, issues with hearing or uh, maybe wheelchair bound, things like that? Well, I think uh, Peace Corps generally uh, strives to, uh, like I said, reduce barriers to participation from anybody who would like to serve in the Peace Corps. And again, you know, that's what represents America is, is a variety of different uh, abilities and and otherwise. And um, so I, I do believe Peace Corps, uh, in many cases, takes on additional effort to ensure that they can accommodate uh, individuals with special needs that, that would like to serve in the Peace Corps. And that includes um, deaf and hardened hearing. I, I know that they're about to hopefully launch a, a new program there. Peace Corps has traditionally had some programs uh, for deaf and hardened hearing, uh, hard of hearing uh, volunteers. So I think we'll continue to see those types of accommodations and programs develop uh, for the future of the Peace Corps. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I'm curious, just maybe because I'm in Berkeley, um, uh, can you talk about maybe not where colleges rank in recruiting, but which which schools seem to produce more recruits than other schools traditionally? Yeah, Frank, I think you set us up there for uh, mentioning <laughs> Berkeley. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I do know that UC Berkeley, of course, is is one of the, if not the leading uh, providers of, uh, of Peace Corps volunteers. Uh, California, of course, in general, uh, being uh, the state, I think, that leads in a number of Peace Corps volunteers. Um, I would also say, um, you know, interestingly, University of Washington in Washington State, uh, the um, University of Wisconsin-Madison, uh, traditional uh, places that produce a lot of, of uh, Peace Corps volunteers. Um, and, you know, I think I think uh, what I think is more important, I guess I would say, and that is um, let's 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 see Peace Corps recruit from the historically black colleges and universities, for example. Let's see those universities and, and institutions uh, be, you know, being at the forefront of the recruitment process and and bringing those those individuals from those universities into the Peace Corps. Um, there's plenty of folks, I think, from Berkeley that would that, that would be recruitable to, to serve from from all the great universities in um, in uh, uh, you know in California. But I'll just say, I, you know, I, I'm from Missouri and I attended the University of Missouri, and I understand that the the Peace Corps has no longer a campus recruiter at the University of Missouri. And, mm. and um, you know, there's um, a, a decreased emphasis there, uh, no longer a Peace Corps prep program at the University of Missouri. And really, quite honestly, those are the folks from the Midwest, like I was uh, many years ago, that really are the ones that, that will gain from this experience of serving in the Peace Corps and that we need to recruit actively and proactively. And uh, Lincoln University and in, in Missouri, a historically black uh, campus, um, I don't believe has ever had a campus recruiter. I'm not sure of that, but you know, we really do need to to, to ensure that those uh, universities have access to recruiters, 
and and that we're we're focusing on on those um, campuses as uh, the place that we'd like to recruit from. I, th- I think you mentioned you mentioned about Peace Corps Connect. Is it is it going to be taking place at Howard this year, or am I am I? Peace Corps Connect is virtual this year. We had planned oh. to um, have it at Howard University in Washington D.C., but due to the pandemic and the COVID situation, uh, we had to suspend those plans. Uh, so there will be no in-person events at all mm. um, uh, to speak of d- during that week. Uh, everything's going to be virtual. Very disappointed because we do have a good, strong uh, relationship with Howard University and wanted to build on that. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to return there and, and continue working in some capacity uh, post, post-pandemic. I'm looking forward to it. I must say the last Peace Corps Connect I went to, I just was great. I enjoyed it. I've been to two. They were, they were the highlights of, uh, of, of a year. I want to thank Glenn for sharing with us uh, the inspiring and impactful work you do. Uh, I, I have a bias because I'm a member of the National Peace Corps Association, and I believe in what they do. I believe in the Peace Corps, and I believe in Northern California Peace Corps. Um, but I want to thank you again. Uh, Glenn Bloomhorst, President and CEO of the National Peace Corps Association. We also thank our audience for joining us today and watching the recording. And now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California commemorating its 118th year of enlightened discussion is adjourned. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.